Hello and welcome to Leave Your Mark. I'm your host, Scott Livingston, and this is where I explore the influences that have shaped the lives of our incredible guests. These are the stories of lives worth talking about. Follow me on Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Pain, or link up with me on my Facebook fan page, Scott G. Livingston. My goal is to empower and inspire a community of people who take every opportunity to live a high-performing life. As 2023 begins, Reconditioning is excited to be able to offer to you a hybrid model of learning with live labs all over the country and starting this year in the United States as well. So if you're a U.S. listener and you've been waiting to do reconditioning, we're going to be down your way this year. So we have a whole series of dates booked Starting in February in Montreal with our R1 Foundations, we have an R2 in March, then we're going to be out in BC in um, May, we're going to be out in Halifax in Nova Scotia in late April, we're going to be uh, down in um, Grand Rapids, Michigan in June, and we have a whole host of dates booked for the fall. So if you've been waiting to take reconditioning and to upgrade your professional capacity and bring it to the next level it's time to jump into reconditioning Um, there's lots of rumors about recession and challenge and difficult times ahead and if you want to bulletproof your practice be able to uh, manage the storm of some of these things that happen from an economic perspective be able to manage more clients a different kind of clientele and really have a more robust capacity bring in the world of applied neurology to your practice as well as that combination of therapy and performance. It really allows you to express the gambit of the different kinds of clients and client demands you might run into, which is going to make you more resilient, more capable of managing through something like a recession and being able to bulletproof your business. So we'd like to help you do that. Reconditioning has all of its course calendar out now. You can find it at www.reconditioninghq.com on the education calendar page, and we'd love to see you in 2023. Our main sponsor, Matrix Fitness, has recently launched its high school and collegiate development program. Customized to each group, these are two-hour workshops designed to support the busy teacher and coach in implementing modern training principles. These workshops are funded by Matrix and designed to address three areas. Simple, not easy, implementing strength conditioning in high school or collegiate settings improving multi-directional movement and coordination, and finally, putting the fun back into fundamentals, simplifying physical education in the weight room for all. Each workshop includes notes, session samples, and templates to help support implementation, as well as equipment and space assessment and budget allocation ideas to support programming. The workshops are all led by Wayne Burke, He's a former pro lacrosse athlete and 23-year veteran of training athletes of all ages. Matrix Fitness is a global brand of fitness equipment supplying and supporting organizations and athletes of all sizes and levels in their pursuit of improved performance. If you want more information on this program, then contact Wayne Burke, B-U-R-K-E, at matrixfitness.com. And if you want more information about the products and programs of Matrix Fitness, hit up matrixfitness.com today. Now that we've taken care of those that take care of us, on to the podcast. Welcome to the 300th podcast of the Leave Your Mark show. 
And I'm really excited to drop this one on New Year's Eve 2022, going into 2023. It's an exceptional session between uh, myself and two guys I admire and believe in in this industry, uh, Brett Bartholomew and Stu McMillan. They've been on the podcast a few times, but both are uh, extremely successful business people in the world of human performance, and I wanted to bring them in and talk shop around the idea of business. Um, giving you, the listener, a little bit of perspective on, you know, if you're starting your business, if you're in the middle of it, the challenges, some of the things you might want to think about, some of the angles you might want to take. And it really was a very interesting and circuitous conversation. Uh, I'm excited to continue on this journey. 300 is no uh, small feat uh, having worked at this uh, and dropped one every day since I started, every week since I started. I'm uh, really proud of what we've been able to produce and continue to produce. I want to continue to build on what we've done in the past and serve you, the listener. I want to thank you, the listener, for your continued uh, listenership and care and consideration of this podcast. If you enjoy it, I would love that you don't keep it to yourself, but that you share it with the community at large and let people know what we're doing here. We have uh, lots to continue to do in the future. And uh, the Leave Your Mark Life Lab is also really doing well. We're in our second cohort, having a lot of fun with that. I'll be opening up a new cohort this spring, so keep an eye out for that. We're 650,000 downloads into this puppy. It's been a real uh, experience. I want to thank all the guests over the years, uh, those of you who are listeners. Thank you for coming on the show and sharing your learnings, the things that you've experienced in your life, how your life has uh, come to be and come to be expressed so that the listener can learn from you. So uh, without further ado, I want to get into this podcast. As I said, it's a nice uh, interaction between myself, Brett Bartholomew, and Stu McMillan. Brett and I start the podcast. Stu had to come on a little bit later. Uh, we dig into the weeds of business, and then Stu comes on and gives us some perspective. Brett has to leave a little bit early, and Stu finishes the show off. So it's a nice, 90-minute long-form podcast as we see fit to do with the Leave Your Mark podcast. I hope you enjoy it. I hope there's some good takeaways and please continue listening and please connect with us on all of our social channels king o'pain on instagram built by scott on twitter and you can find me as scott livingston online and facebook uh, both as my personal and my so-called fan page so love you all thank you and enjoy the podcast well, buddy, uh, I'm not even going to do big introductions. I'm uh, lucky enough to have uh, a friend of mine, Brett Bartholomew, on the podcast. And later on, if it all works out and Stewie can get his coffee, we'll have Stu McMillan here. <laughs> it, is, it is podcast 300. And um, I'm honored to have two guys that I have deep respect for and have done great things in their business, but have also been guests several times on the podcast. I said to both guys, would they come uh, to do my 300th uh, and have some fun talking about business and life and stuff. So Brett, thanks for coming this morning, bud. Hey, happy to be here. And congratulations on 300. I don't think people understand how huge of an accomplishment that is. We were going over data last year on our own podcast. And what we found is if you are over, if you're at about 300 episodes, and really it was more than a hundred and they're all a certain length. Okay. So this doesn't count 
when people do these like little 10 minute mini sods and all that, try to game the system that by default, you are in about the top third percent of podcasts, just because most people don't stay consistent with it. Uh, They don't truly commit to like long form. There are so many other things that Nielsen SoundScan and other uh, organizations that track that kind of stuff uh, put into that. But I mean, congratulations. It's no small feat. Thanks, buddy. Well, and uh, it's due in part to uh, people like you coming on and talking about things they're passionate about, about their lives, and then the other things that they've done. We've done a couple of different ones topically over time. And I asked you guys, I wanted to talk today a little bit about business and sort of business of human performance and um, kind of give the listener a lot of the listeners of my podcast are in the human performance industry. And it's kind of like, you know, why do you start a business? What are some of the mistakes you make? And I just want to meander through and I want it to be a conversation. So I'd love if you ask me or have sort of throwbacks that uh, you have your own podcast for those who are listening. Brett's a very accomplished uh, S&C coach, but also beyond that has done many, many things in the world of human performance and has a great business in communications. And I'll let him elaborate on what his business mission is. Um, and maybe start with that. Like, why did you get into business, Brett, in the first place? And and sort of what is has become the mission of what you're doing? Yeah, I mean, I think I've always had an interest. If you look at some of the things that I get into or that I'm interested in, the through line there is I really value complex problems. And I, I value the, the intersection of complex problems and people. You know, when, when I started Art of Coaching, I realized that there was no true like definition for that term, even in the performance space. I mean, people tinkered around with it, but there was nothing that was operationally kind of holistic in its view. And and so we looked at it as the ability to identify, analyze, and adapt to variables that impact human performance. And early on in my career, when I was just in strength and conditioning, right, you look at that as training and recovery and nutrition and all these aspects. Um, And even when I was at Exos, you know, they looked at movement, mindset, nutrition, and recovery. But oddly enough, the thing that wasn't Uh, included in that was communication and coaching. And so I remember I had gone through this kind of quarter life crisis of, you know, what makes a good coach? And this was the same time, you know, I was looking at, well, what makes a great leader? Just trying to make sure that I was progressing in those areas. And that took me down a research rabbit hole that said, whether you're looking at either of those, you're looking at primarily social influence-based behaviors, social influence-based behaviors. And so, you know, this led down a rabbit hole of communication and all these things. And and I won't go there unless it interests uh, everybody. But I just started to see all these tie-ins of what I was doing as a coach intersected with business and what I was doing in business intersected with being a coach. And and anybody that starts a business should do so just to solve a problem. So I think to consolidate all that, given the context, I look at it as a pitch deck. And we were just talking about as we were doing year-end reviews, we were looking back because you can... Anybody can see these online. There are pitch decks for Uber and Airbnb and all these famous organizations. And a pitch deck is a great kind of mental model to follow when you think about business because a pitch deck by itself is a communication tool that is clarity-based, right? So it's like, hey, what's the problem? Airbnb had their own example of what the problem was in their industry. Uber did. For us, the problem was pretty clear. Coaches had a million places to go learn about X's and O's, but they had nothing really comprehensive to do to go look at coaching and psychology and all these pieces. They'd either get into research or maybe there's stuff on like mindset, which that can be a, a, a concept that is notoriously hard to pin down with how everybody kind of has addressed that and, you know, mental toughness and all those things. 
Um, but there is nowhere, I mean, oddly enough, nobody was going anywhere to learn how to coach and communicate. So that took us down. There was a 2016 meta-analysis that showed out of 285 coach development, and this was sport coaching as well, outputs, less than 4% focus on communication. And so the problem was is you can't just have a bunch of people that like training or like rehabilitation or like, you know, you and not focus on the human aspect, the people aspect, especially in a time where we're dealing with more social complexity than ever before. So that was a problem. We wanted to change the way, not just coaches, but the world interacts when it matters most. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, that's really ambitious, right? Because people, you're not, but you still have to have that. That's the point of a vision statement. You know, you're supposed to have something that's ambitious. What was Microsoft? A PC in every home. They said that mm-hmm. in like the 70s or 80s. And then so then we were like, all right, well, to really have a differentiator, which is another piece of business advice we'll get into later, because differentiation, as you know, is not about just being different. It's about being uniquely relevant. We said, all right, well, we're not just going to do a bunch of leadership workshops or coaching and queuing workshops. We need to have something that's experientially focused right? The use of improv and tactical role-playing and video breakdowns. And we don't want this to just be open to coaches in the traditional sport sense, because that's how a lot of people think of coaches. That term is synonymous with leading and teaching and mentoring. We want it to be open to all professions. So a lot of that identification of a problem, seeing that communication-based training was being done in the medical field after all these lawsuits, but nothing done in performance, nothing done in humanitarian crisis situation. Like so many other things didn't have that. And you started seeing more and more social conflict in the world. We're like, there's a cool intersection here. If we can make something experiential, we can make something that's research and real life backed. Like we can do something here. So yeah, yeah, complex problem, a unique need and something we are passionate about. And we looked at that intersection there. Yeah. Well, it's um, interesting when you, you start with this idea of identifying the problem that you want to solve. And that is often sort of um, described in the literature or anybody who's teaching business, you know, 101 is what's the problem you're trying to solve. But the question too is, does the end user understand they have a problem and yeah. do they recognize? And I know that you've had a challenge uh, within the scope of your business. We've talked about it before at different times, privately, et cetera, around the idea of actually making people recognize that this is a problem that they should be solving for themselves because they don't actually recognize they're in it. So, you know, you, my intent, my impression is that you have an early identification that this is a problem. You're seeing the data that's telling you it's a problem. How do you, A, decide this is a business proposition that I know I can convince people to invest in? And, and, and what makes you make that bet versus saying, I don't know if I can get people to recognize this as a problem? Yeah, you make a good point. A, a quote that I love that ties hand in hand with that is just because there's a gap in the market doesn't mean there's a market in the gap, you know? And, and I like, I love that. I love that. Axiom. And, uh, and so, you know, cause that's, that's the third part of that pitch deck, right? You have to do market analysis to a degree. And you're right. We did at, at first, you know, the earliest representation of it would have been my book. The uptake of that was great, you know, thank God. And then the uptake by the grace of God also of our online course was, was great. But then when we started doing live workshops early on, Right. It was it was like, all right, it was a little slow. It didn't help that we hit the pandemic and all this stuff. But what we found is we had partially identified the wrong market early on. I was I very much wanted to give back to strength coaches and the performance community and all that. So we were adamant that like, let's let's lock in there. Let's give back there. 
And ironically, there's a lot of coaches that despite the fact through semi-structured interviews and everything else, they know that building buy-in and communication is a primary part of that job. Many of them thought they were better at it than they really were, or they took offense to that. They don't like, you know, the performance field doesn't really like feedback. Anytime somebody tries mm-hmm. to tell them something, they think that that person's trying to tell them they're not good enough. You know, sometimes like there's very, it's a very adversarial where we did not have trouble with market uptake and we didn't expect was other industries. Mm-hmm. And this is what led to us, you know, continuing to open it up more and more. One, we always wanted to, we just wanted to give to our initial community first, but I think it was both disappointing and inspiring that once once our workshop started to fill up with, you know, we had an FBI forensic analyst, we had leadership from other fields, we had we had doctors, we had we had somebody that is an arborist, you know, we had people that all as we started posting about this, then more and more of the performance community started jumping on board. And I didn't say, you know, the physios and ATCs were great about it as well, just because you know, they had unique stakes involved with that communication side as well. So what we started realizing is the markets that we don't have as much trouble with were ones where the stakes were pretty clear, like in the military and department of defense. I remember one time I was on like my 14th slide going through communication research, really trying to set the exposition. Cause I had to do that with some performance audiences that thought communication wasn't objective when in reality, it's one of the most objective things you can measure um, and, and the gentleman in the military says, you know, buddy, move, shoot, and communicate are some core axioms here. If we don't communicate well, like we're, we're dead, you know, and, and a doctor and, and a surgeon said the same thing. And so what I realized is I think sometimes strength and conditioning or people in the performance space misunderstand the stakes, like poor communication. And this led to a change in marketing, just to give you tactical advice. Once mm-hmm. we started understanding these things, we had to realize we weren't selling communication or we shouldn't be. We need to be selling the the dream or the ramifications of poor communication, right? So poor communication can cost you results. It can cost you your reputation. It can cost you relationships, you know, and and we did, just to be honest, we had to use that a little bit more of that, um, you know, people either run towards pleasure, run away from pain. We did have to use that run away from pain messaging style with the performance community a little bit more, you Mm -hmm. know, to increase that uptake where others we didn't really have to. So the take-home point, just to wrap that in a bow, and I can go deeper, but I want to respect the, the dialogue and, and hear how you battle this as well in your own right, is sometimes it's good to be loyal to your base, but have kill criteria. Don't go down with the ship because sometimes it, it comes down to, and we talk about this at our apprenticeship, influencing people doesn't just come down to the message or the product or the tool. or the. It comes down to timing. It can come down to the social environment, <clears throat> the social or physical or perceived environment. It can come down to what other social peers are doing for us to get another, the performance community on board. They almost had to see people from other professions legitimize it, come on board. And this is for live events specifically. They didn't have that problem with the digital. And then we had to change our messaging around that. We had to realize we're not selling communication. You're selling efficiency. You're selling the byproduct of improved communication efficiency, increasing your value, improving, you know, all these kinds of things. And and the micro-political realities of, you know, one person came to us and said, I thought you were selling a communication course like a Tony Robbins trust fall. I didn't realize you're teaching people how to play the game so they don't get screwed at work as well. So all of this was just data collection over time and we had to alter our messaging style. Does that make sense? And given that? Absolutely. Absolutely. How about you? Well, 
You know, we we're our business is a little bit more niche centric in the sense that it does sort of uh, align itself more. I mean, the the central business model reconditioning is focused on the the performance industry and the unique proposition. The problem that we're trying to solve is the fact that the two worlds, performance and therapy, they don't talk to each other very well. They don't communicate with one another. Hold on a second. I don't know why I have an alarm going off on my phone, but anyways, um, they don't talk to each other. They don't communicate with one another very well. And in fact, in a lot of cases, they have a very um, disparate relationship, uh, negative relationship, and they're countercultured in some sense. So our whole mission was to recognize that as a problem, that it was actually hurting the client and user. And how could we bring, uh, create a language, uh, an operational language that would intersect these two things and bring them together? The problem I've found in the same way that you found is that people don't necessarily understand their problem, um, recognize it. But the bigger thing is our strategy or approach requires a, a certain degree of critical thinking. Um, versus sort of a, this is the, you know, the script, follow the the path and this will, X will equal, you know, Y versus da, 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 da. We don't operate that way. We operate right. in a, a hypothesis-based model, walk through the tree, decide you're going to go left versus right based on what happened, et cetera. And people... That is more challenging for people to learn, more challenging for people to adapt to, and it requires them to, a, a bit of a sea change in the way they operate. So our biggest challenge has been sort of convincing people that this is going to be good for them. Yeah, and It's going to help them actually help their clients more. Um, and so that has been a challenge for us. Uh, it still is a challenge for us. We find ways to, it requires more nuanced um, front end relational types of marketing where you actually have a chance to talk to somebody about what you're doing versus pitching them on things and, and, or kind of letting your marketing do the, the calling card for you. Um, and so that's been, I would say my biggest challenge in, in being a businessman, because I know there's a problem and I know people know there's a problem. I don't know that they always understand that the workload involved in investment. And I know to some degree that's been your challenge as well, because yours requires a certain degree of critical thinking as well. Critical analysis, asking yourself, what circumstance am I in? I know I went down and did your workshop and you loved were great it. At it. By the way, man, I wish all of you listening, you should have seen this guy. And I'll be honest, just to be transparent. I mean, you're, you're somebody that I can see. I mean, you're in my top 10 of friends that have it's a zombie apocalypse. I'm letting you in the bunker, buddy, you know, and, <laughs> but I mean, you're just so astute in many ways, but you know, improv has, and anybody listening, meaning this in the most friendly way, like we, we create a very challenging, but welcoming environment. When I say challenging, it's just the fact that sometimes people don't like the way they respond from an improv standpoint, when in reality, like you should love that, you know, mm-hmm. there's life is improv and but I was just so anxious to see how you perform in that environment. And the fact that you like analytical, thoughtful, and, and you're at, you, you have tremendous empathy as well. If you had to play a 12 year old, you know, teenager, you know, to help somebody solve their problem. Cause you know, anybody listening, people come with a wide variety of case studies that they want to work through when we do tactical role-playing or whether you needed to play the stubborn worker, coworker, Vanessa, you just like gave yourself to that. And it was so awesome because of the value that it brought to everybody. So I just want to interject there because it was fun watching you do improv. 
It was fun. Uh, I, I didn't know what I was getting into going into, but uh, you have to let yourself give way to it. And I think that's a struggle that a lot of people have when they're, you know, making decisions around what they're going to do to improve themselves from a professional perspective. I saw a tweet the other day, which I don't know that I necessarily agree with, but I think it was kind of a, you know, poke the bear thing about a certain percentage of people just kind of copy other people and do the same thing that everybody else is doing. And then there's this very small percentage to actually go out and change or do things that are different or innovate. And you're in that percentage, obviously you're innovating and creating things. I want to go back a little bit further back in the history of your decision-making process and sort of you, you recognize there's a problem, but what did you recognize in yourself that told you you could be a business person? What what told you you could succeed in this? Yeah, I mean, ironically, something that we one, one let's let's be careful with that, right? I could still end up just dead in a dumpster tomorrow and not not succeed in any of this. I don't. We we never take any year for granted. We've had up years, we've had down years. You know, we've taken a business line of credit before. You know, we've had other years where we're like, my God, this thing is gonna five x. You know, and and anybody in business that's being honest going to have those years, right? Like I just, I do want to be real for the audience listening. You have to have a certain, and this answers your question in a way you have to have a certain risk appetite. Mm -hmm. You know, let's, let's be real. You have to have a certain risk appetite. Now that coincides with what my view is of a lifelong learner. I think that you learn experientially. And I think that there's a lot of people that live in theory world and think that they know something, but when you put skin in the game and pen to paper metaphorically, and literally you find out what you really know, I have always had a, an obsession with being able to identify my blind spots, you know, just because I, and part of it is an efficiency, right? There's a time cost, economical aspect to finding out if you're a fraud for real, you know, and even if you think you're good at something, being like, do I really know it? You know, and that's, that's the adrenaline rush. That's fun about getting up on stage and doing those things. It's not an attention thing. It's a uh, man. It's, it's funny when I looked at the origins of my last name, St. Bartholomew was a flayed man. Like he holds his skin in his hand. And the irony of that is like, I, I am my biggest advocate and biggest adversary. Like I'm not very nice to myself. I'll put myself in challenging situations because I just want to see, right. It's an economical way to see what you need to improve in. So mm -hmm. you have to have a risk appetite. You have to be willing to have put skin in the game. You have to be able to risk ridicule. You know, I think that's a big thing, too, is, you know, because first they are going to fight you, then they're going to laugh at you, then they're going to join you. I look at how the world and this is politics aside. So hopefully we have, you know, I know you have very discerning listeners. I look at somebody like Elon Musk, who I think is one of the greatest innovators of our time. I think that the gentleman's got a very unique brain and like any of us does some things that he shouldn't do it sometimes. But I think that, you know, this guy is basically doing NASA's job. He was ahead of all the big three in terms of making electric vehicles. I mean, you could be looking at the intersection of Da Vinci and Jobs and all these people, just brilliant mind. Uh, but, you know, just looking at this, like you have to be, if you're not willing to have that patience, go through two to three to maybe even five years of flat to hopefully achieve hockey stick growth, all those things is huge. So anyway, somebody that was curious, somebody that's adversity driven, somebody that's got a decent risk appetite, somebody that likes solving complex problems, somebody who can be patient, but not passive, mm -hmm. you know, and I think you, you know that. And then somebody that wants to delegate, you have to have a team. I mean, we run a, we run a coaching based entrepreneurial mastermind because a lot of products we create are things that I wish I would have had in my journey. And so, you know, one thing we tell anybody that comes on is 
to a degree, you're all going to be time poor. You need to find an integrator, you know, and thank God we live in a time where you can. I mean, I freaked out the first time I had to pay somebody $25 an hour, but the value that I got back from that person at being able to hand those things off is huge. So yeah, you're right. It doesn't just come into, okay, what is my competitive strategy, right? What is my business model? What is the industry attractiveness? Does the industry that you're looking at, uh, d- does it have a structure that allows a decent return? You know, um, what, what is the scope of your business? What's its competitive advantage? How will, will you have rivals? Are you dependent on the market? Like there's so many things that we can get, we can get deep into this stuff if you want, because I think that there's value in people understanding that analysis as well, but in yourself, risk appetite, complex problem solving, humility, being patient, but not passive. And all those things are, are and you got to be a collaborator too, because you're not going to get through it alone. Mm-hmm. Do you have any early mistakes where you, um, where you said, where you almost threw in the towel and you just said, I- I'm just going to go back and be a, a strength coach and F this, you know, like not, this, this yeah, is not, not, not we've won. We've had a ton of early mistakes for sure. And I can go as deep as you'd like. Sure. None that knock on wood that have been like, you know, I'm just going to go back to being a strength coach. Um, not, none there yet. Now I, you have that in your back pocket and any entrepreneur should, that's the value about having a trade, right? Like understanding a trade craft, whether you need to go back to being a plumber or a strength coach, a teacher or whatever, like you want to have that in your back pocket. I have thought about, you know, there was times like where I thought, and let me be clear. It wouldn't, it wasn't, it shouldn't. It wasn't, I'm going to go back. I'm not going to go back to being a strength coach because I didn't value my time there. It's the same kind of train of thought of why I love where I'm from. I have a lot of pride in being from Nebraska. That's a state of hardworking, driven, no-nonsense people, but I don't want to move back there. Just because in life, I think you're supposed to kind of keep moving forward. So I, if I would have gone and done something else, I would have wanted to work in another field or organization, and I probably would have leveraged some of my connections to be able to do that whether that was working. I have a friend that was an executive at Disney. I have a friend that, cause I'd want to see the inner machinations of that. I'd want to develop different skill sets, you know, but if the worst of the worst of the worst of the worst happened, yeah, you know, I would do that. And, and we always have those, you, you listen, people have to do, and I know you saw this at the apprenticeship. We did, you know, we did, um, you know, what was the activity? I, th- I think we had you do it on the whiteboard. You know, you have to be able to game those things out. You have to be able to kind of do, uh, strategic analysis. You have to be able to do, um, you know, look at what, what was the kind of exercise? I can't remember the name that we gave it because it's just, we, we had a day full of travel yesterday, but you can think of it as like game theory. You have to do decision-making and say, what are the known knowns? What are the critical uncertainties and how can we plan this out? Mm-hmm. You know, because you can't forecast, nobody can forecast with accuracy, but anything that we do in any decision we make, we pre-mortem the shit out of it. And we look at four different ways that it could go. You have to. And mm-hmm. the other the other reason I don't think I would have gone back to strength and conditioning is just, you know, because it, I don't know that I would have. Eventually, I still would have wanted to come back and solve a bigger problem. And I don't know that I would have gotten that skill set in those in those mm-hmm. environments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting listening to you because one of the things that I sort of tried to mentor to those that I have the the honor and privilege of doing so, one of the things I was was introduced to by my own um, coach was a concept around the, what what he described as the four mindsets of business or of of craft, and the first one is uh, an employee mindset, then a solopreneurship mindset, an entrepreneurship mindset, and an investor mind, mindset mindset. Mm-hmm. 
And understanding who you are uh, at your sort of center point and doing that sort of self-examination is high value before you get into business. If you're somebody who needs consistency, wants direction, wants to be sort of know know the knowns and understand what you're getting into and what you've got to deal with, then you're probably more, you know, employee centric. If you're somebody who likes to work, run your own ship, do your own thing, like even the, the pivot between... Uh, solopreneurship and entrepreneurship is very different. People don't recognize that. And it, it would be interesting actually to talk about that a little bit your, with yourself. And then Stewie's coming on now, which will be great. So he can kind of tap into the conversation, the back end. But solopreneurship, most, if you look at the call it the strength conditioning industry, a lot of strength conditioning coaches go from, you know, I worked in an institution, then I went out and started working in a gym. Maybe I opened my own space. And so they, they're, they're seeing their own clients, doing their own thing running their own business that's solopreneurship you are the business yeah then there's this pivot to entrepreneurship which means fundamentally you're running a business and people are working for you and you're generating income whether you're there or not the business is running but there's a difference between those two animals a significant difference one is You've got to have leadership skills. You've got to have management skills. You've got to diversify. You've got to create a staff. You've got to have support around construct. When you're a solopreneur, you just you run your own ship. But who are those two animals? They're not the same. But people always go, well, I opened my business, and now I'm going to start this. I'm going to scale and create something. But they don't recognize the difference between those two things. Yeah. I don't know if anything any of that hits you. or Yeah, for sure. I mean, let's just talk. This, there's a couple things that goes back to. One, I'll, I'll bring another act into this and I think complements what you said. You know, we tell a lot of people that come to us that are trying to move into entrepreneurship and they kind of want, as you talked about earlier, these one size fits all answers, this recipe book. Listen, if you don't know where you are, then a map's not going to help, you know? And when we talk about where they are, again, it goes back to just some basic things people have to think about before they ever even become an entrepreneur or create something. So here's, here's a basic kind of just thought chain, right? Few companies or individuals have monopoly-like positions in what they do. We do know that to be successful in something, you have to stand out or have some level of differentiation. Differentiation, not just being different, being uniquely relevant. When strength coaches start a bunch of gyms and they're like, oh, but we teach technique and the the CrossFit box next door doesn't, or we're the best at speed and this and that, they're not actually choosing real differentiation. What they are is the, the water aisle in the supermarket. There's caffeinated water, there's carbonated water, there's flavored water, but it's still all water. A lot of strength coaches or people that start gyms or practices don't really understand differentiation. They're not choosing true different, like true differentiation. And I'm going to give broad examples here because it just depends on what somebody's creating, right? Is it create it's like uniqueness and excellence in either your value offering or your product, uh, difference in the service or delivery, user experience, uh, you know, the process itself marketing, and and also knowing who your competition is, the Motel 8 doesn't compete with the Four Seasons, okay? They don't. Ford is not competing with Mercedes. These people, like, so a lot of people get in and they have this zero-sum bias of, like, everybody that's even in this, anything related is my competition, and then they lose themselves because they're not actually understanding. Ruth Chris doesn't compete with Golden Corral, you know, like, and, and we can go into this too, but Like when you look at that, then it's like, all right, can your difference, whatever you think your differentiation is, can that be copied? Can that be copied easily? Because it is going to get copied at some point. 
Mm-hmm. It's going to get copied. You even look at an, a, a, a company like Carvana. You know, more and more players are coming into the game. And this is where, again, even some differentiation can be just the relationship you built with your damn audience. If so, if it can be copied, you have to come up with something else that's going to make you stand out and go back to, you know, the list that I just said. And then the thing that most people don't do is do that consistently. And this calls back to what we talked about. And, and this is why it should hearten some of your listeners, because if they feel like, man, I kind of have weak differentiation, that's okay. Because most of your in competition, if you've actually identified who that is, they're not going to do what they do consistently. They're going to drop off. They will, I promise you, the majority of them are going to drop off. Mm-hmm. And so if you have true differentiation, you've looked at that market, you stuck with it, you've been able to, as you talked about, not just be a solopreneur, but a true entrepreneur, build a team around you, you're more likely to end up in success. Now, the final thing I'll say, Scotty, before we turn it over then is people need to understand what success looks like to them. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of us have a mutual friend here that sold a business for hundreds of millions of dollars, Okay. Do you need that to be happy? I know I, I don't. I have I have a close friend in VC that's like, you'll never have a billion dollar company because you don't have a tech base. I'm like, buddy, I that's not my, if that happens, great, but that's not my goal. Right? I don't need Art of Coaching to be a $500 million company, anything like that. So I think the other thing is, is just not just differentiation, not just consistency, not just building a team, but know what is enough because you don't have that helps you ensure that you're not chasing everything around you. Mm-hmm. Like you have to have an idea. And most people, even in our mastermind at the beginning, can't answer that. They mm-hmm. can't answer what success really looks like to them other than the, well, I just want time with family and friends. No, no, no. Put a dollar amount. If you're going to start a business or whatever, hypothetically, what would that dollar amount be? Or at least give me a range. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that. Well, I'm going to, Make sure I introduce and bring in Stu McMillan, who just arrived. We had this complicated uh, intersect of bringing everybody's schedules together. Stewie's out on the West Coast. Stu, thanks for coming to this morning. My listenership will recognize who you are because both of you guys have been on this podcast several times. So welcome, sir. I appreciate you, Scotty. Thanks for uh, having me on. It's uh, a real honor to be here for your 30th or 300th episode. <laughs> yeah. Put an extra zero at the back end of that one. And the, uh, I think my, my, fi- my, my fifth time maybe, and I think Brett's, Brett's like 10th time. So, no, great, great to be here. Buddy, I, you timed that perfectly. In the chat, I put insult, insult coming, coming in five, five, four, four three, three, two, and two, right on the money. <laughs> just, just, oh, man. Perfect timing for you. You can't, you can't get by like five minutes without him just – Ripping on someone. <laughs> Listen, that 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 wasn't even the insult. The insult was still to come. I'm, I'm not even going to say the insult now. <laughs> the fact that you were insulted is perfect when you didn't even actually actually have to throw the ball. <laughs> and I, uh, yeah, I, I appreciate you giving me the half hour leeway as well. You really did not want to talk to me half an hour ago. <laughs> Well, I mean, listen, you have the most, like, we're talking about successful business here. I mean, you're so, you're like, I think you can brain up on this for about five minutes and we'll learn, we'll learn about everything we need to know from you, Stu, you know? So I, I think it's my turn to kind of throw a jab at you, but by all means, we were just talking about differentiation. And the thing that makes you different, Stu, is, you know, you, you just have this unique capacity to make somebody feel loved insulted, confused, <laughs> and confident all at the same time. Nobody does it like you. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate that. And I, I don't need to I don't need five minutes to tell everybody 
everything I know. It's not even five <laughs> minutes. It might, it might, it might be a minute, and ninety seconds, maybe. He is the love story of relation, um, relational marketing. Un- <laughs> unlike Brett, who needs about five five weeks. <laughs> hey, as long as he gets him there. <laughs> well, I'm I'm losing Brett at the top of the hour, so I got 20 more minutes with him, and then I have Stu for an extra little 30 minutes. So I try to get these guys to sort of bring their their noise during their Christmas holidays. So thanks again, guys, for joining me on 300, and we're talking about business. And Stu, we were sort of getting into this whole idea of um, you know people recognizing who they are and what they you know what they want to accomplish and what success means to them before they embark upon a business you kind of i wouldn't say the word is inherited but you you came into a business model then you sort of took over that business model from John Godina and you you guys you and Kevin Tyler and the rest of the gang have kind of taken it in a whole different direction and done some amazing things with it over time but in that early phase what what said to you, like, I want to be a businessman or I can be a businessman or, or did you ever even have that revelation in essence? Did you just kind of osmotically become so? Yeah, I don't know if I've ever thought of myself as that prior to the last few years, Scotty. But, you know, I've always been a person that's um, probably preferred not to have people to report to. So, <laughs> so if, if, if that's the type of work that you want to do, then, you know, by default, you're a quote unquote businessman, right? Because you mm-hmm. have to sort of figure it out by yourself. So it's, you know, over the course of, uh, you know, my almost three decades now in the industry, probably two of them, two of those decades has been sort of figuring out by myself and being responsible for, finding my own work and finding my own, you know, way of, way of, um, you know, supporting myself. And, you know, I've always preferred that, right? So when the opportunity came to, um, you know, to purchase the business from John Godina back in 2017, we, you know, myself and my business partners, Kevin Tyler and Andreas Bain, we, we jumped at that opportunity. I think all of us are sort of just wired that way. You know, we just prefer to be in control of things, ourselves we we prefer to be in control of our own destinies and i feel like that is probably the essence of it you know it's just i prefer to be the one who's making the decisions i prefer the one to be the one who's in control mm-hmm. rather than just uh you know leaving that to someone else mm-hmm. um so yeah that's sort of how it got started but i've always sort of been that way you know and you know i mean it's it's when you know when i was struggling there working with the within the canadian sports system working for people you know, I was, uh, the challenges that come along with that and the frustrations and the annoyances that I, I was feeling over the course of probably 12 to 15 years was just, uh, it was too much for me at the time. So I, I, it, it was, it was such that I almost, I left the, the game, you know, I almost left the industry and said, this is enough. And I want to go and do something else until, mm-hmm. until the opportunity came to do something else within mm-hmm. this industry. Mm-hmm. But it's, uh, yeah, I've always, I've always preferred sort of my own, my own run of things, but I'll also take a little bit of an issue. And I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't hear the half an hour of conversation prior to jumping on, obviously, but um, you know, when you say, and I don't, I'm not saying that you guys said this, but the expectation sometimes for solopreneurs or even entrepreneurs, uh, you know, um, at the at a larger sense is to figure out what they want to do before embarking upon what they're doing. 
And that's, for me, that's totally backwards. We figure out what we want to do as we embark upon it, right? We, we don't, you know, we create ourselves, you know, we don't discover it. You know, life is a process of creation. It's not one of discovery, right? We, we try to create what we want to do, the business we want to build, the person we want to become as we're living our lives. We don't mm-hmm. figure that out and then say, okay, we're going to go do that now. No question. Life is about creation, right? Mm-hmm. So, and I'm not saying you guys said that, right? Like no. I said, I, yeah, so no, you wouldn't be taken make, that way. Like that, that is something, as a matter of fact, I think it complements a lot of what we were talking about in that you can have an idea of what value you want to put into the world in terms of a general sense or a certain uh, level of expertise or passion. But I don't think there's anybody, I mean, I'm listening to the biography of Steve jobs right now by Isaacson and the amount of times he like, it would look to the outside. I like he switched a lot, but there was a common through line that through line, you know, is simplicity and innovation and all these things. But yeah, I mean, you're spot on. There's no way. And I think that that actually should be an empowering message because there's a lot of people that don't embark on this stuff because they have imposter phenomenon because they think they should have it all figured out when that's just not a reality. And I think Isaacson does a great job of documenting that across his stuff with Da Vinci and Franklin and and all and all those folks is they all figured that out along the way. So I think that was perfect. Well, I actually really I'm glad you said that, Stu, because I think there's a there's sort of a, a mistaken um, intersect between what I would call the real businessman and the type of businessman that I think the three of us are, which many people are, which is the real businessman at the end of the day doesn't really care what they're selling or what they're doing business in. They're, they care about the generation of or creation of profit and success through profitability, et cetera. So they could be selling widgets or some other thing. They're excited about the deal, the uh, the the business extravaganza and so they they say this is the problem i have to i want to solve with this piece of toy and i'm going to go out and sell it whereas we usually start from a place of some impassioned belief in what we we want to change or do and then we then we do the research as we were talking earlier before you came on on where the gap lies and how we can play in that pond a little bit and and sort of survive it and create something that actually thrives within it. It's it's not we're not doing business for the sake of doing business. We're doing business because we're impassioned towards something that we believe in. Um, I'm going to go back to Brett on that before I lose him and then I'll come back to you Stu on your thoughts around that. But what do you think of that, sir? Quick break here. We'll be back with our guest. In the last three years, the already powerful practice of reconditioning, which brings the worlds of therapy and performance together, has been upgraded with an integration of applied neurology. It now is one system that brings these three worlds together in a very powerful operating system that will turbocharge your practice. If you really want to change your practice, be able to take care of more clients and get better and more long-lasting results, we'd recommend you come and visit Reconditioning today and join the Reconditioning Revolution. It will change the way you practice. What do universities, colleges, municipalities, first responders, hotel guests, athletes, gym owners, rehab specialists condo developers and over 3,500 homes in Canada have in common? 
They all use Matrix Fitness equipment to support their physical activity needs. Matrix is a global brand that recently celebrated its 20th anniversary and can be found in most local facilities in your community. For more information on how Matrix can support your goals, go to matrixfitness.com today. We're back. Enjoy the podcast. In terms of just being able well, to evolve it? Well, yeah, the the evolution, the sense that you are an impassioned sort of uh, embar- your point of embarkation comes from the passion of what you believe in and where you want to go versus the actual, I'm going to sell a widget or I want to sell widgets to people, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, listen, I think that there's a, there's a lot of ways you can go with that. I just think that uh, for, I'll just speak to our experience. We knew that we wanted to help people with problems that were going to be relevant five, 50 and 500 years from now. And, and human beings are the preeminent social animal on the planet some form of communication is always going to be important. Um, you look at most disasters and conflicts within human history, it came down to breakdowns of communication in some sort. And so that was something. And now, granted, there's also a personal relevance there, right? I, I nearly lost my life in part due to poor communication in a medical community, you know? And so I think that it just has to have a deeper meaning for you. It, it helps if you've been impacted by it. And it helps if you look at this, I mean, think of even what, what Stu does. You know, some people could look at that and be like, well, I'm not a track guy. I'm not this and that. That's not what they do, right? They look at movement and look at what you do in the, the neuro side and, and pain management side and performance side. I think people just, they misinterpret what they're actually looking at and what they're doing. But that, that doesn't also mean that everybody has to choose that path. Right. There are plenty of things out there that people have uh, innovated and, and done very well at, and they don't have to have some kind of unique story behind it. They just have to be able to have this willingness to see something through because entrepreneurship to a degree is a commitment to long-term suffering, you know, and that's just the, and, and I think that that's why it's important to have kind of these mutual admiration societies. That was a term that I took from Katie Milkman when she came on our podcast. And this isn't, you know, these are people that, you know, they can be helpful devil's advocates, but when we're talking about not being able to do it alone, it's not just a matter of building a good staff and team around you either. It's about other people that know what it's like to have bled in that capacity to try to figure it out. And I think you and Stu have been tremendously valued. Like none of us have to put on a facade for each other. When business is down, it can be all the way down. And we can talk about that. When business is up, it can be all the way up. And I also think it just helps to have a good filter. You know, it help, it, you have to have that with what you do too, what works with certain friends of, of yours or Stu's or mine or whatever isn't going to work for everybody, but business still does come down. Let's just go back to something real quick that you talked about at the beginning. You were talking about attributes of somebody in business and all that. Looking back in hindsight for any strength and conditioning or performance-based professionals, it really isn't that different. Business plans, when you look at all the, the considerations, it's very much just like the concept of periodization. It's just a plan. And that plan's written in pencil and there's going to be things that are going to have to change. And these things are going to have to evolve. There's going to be regressions and progressions. Scotty, you talked about in the beginning how that I think Stu's in this as well. All of us sell products that require people to think, right? And, and not like, we're not teaching people what to think. We're teaching them how to think. But, you know, one of the things that helped in that end as well is creating other products that didn't need a tremendous amount of like, or had more processing fluency or cognitive ease behind it. So our apprenticeship, yeah, requires people to think deeply, but there's other products that not so much. So you're meeting that market where they need to be, progressions, regressions as well. But I think you do have to have a commitment to the long-term of these things. You need to have something that I think you can show the relevance to people in many areas of their life. And uh, 
yeah, it doesn't necessarily have to just be like, oh my God, I'm the one person that can solve this. Then ours is the best without question and all that it just has to be uniquely relevant and consistent. I don't know if that mm-hmm. answered it. I tried just because I, oh, yeah. I want to wrap it into previous things as well. No, it's perfect. Um, Stu, when you look at um, the adventure you've been on, I mean, your business started out uh, in essence to train elite athletes to be faster. And, and, and then you started thinking about how you were going to share the wisdom of this. And that became uh, an educational portal to something maybe you didn't even realize was there from a business perspective. Was it that simple or was it more complicated than that? Like, you know, when did, when did you guys discover that, you know, okay, we have something here and we should be sharing it. And actually that can be a, a monetized um, strategy for building a bigger, a bigger business. Yeah, immediately, Scotty. I mean, that was the mission from day one, actually. Um, Okay. Yeah. That goes back to Kevin Tyler's work with the Canadian athletics uh, coaching center in Edmonton uh, through the O's. Right. So we've always thought, and this sort of comes from him and from Dan, that the development of athletes and the development of coaches go side by side. Uh, so it's always been there for us. It's always been a mission of ours. It's why it's in fact, it's why John Godina started the company world athletic center to begin with what became mm. Altus, you know, it was, it was because he saw a gap in the market of the development of the development of coaches in North America. And we just sort of uh, continued with that. We, what we found in our own sort of history through this is coaching track and field athletes in North America without the support of, um, you know, a shoe company is a losing proposition. <laughs> so we had to accelerate the other part of our business, the coaching of coaches to be able to fund the the first part of our business, the coaching of, of athletes. So it's, um, you know, from our perspective, it was just, you know, it, it was hit home really quickly that, okay, we're not going to make money doing this. And we don't, in fact, we don't want to make money doing this because if we are making money coaching athletes, then we're charging uh, you know, quote unquote, professional track and field athletes to, to train with us. And we didn't want to rely upon that. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, if, 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 if you don't mind, you know, and I'll yeah, this wax. sort of, yeah, going back to sort of what you said before about sort of having a, you know, a long-term commitment and the mission, what uh, Brett was, was talking about there. I couldn't, couldn't agree more. The way I sort of think about this is, is, you know, the mercenary versus the missionary, right? The missionary kind of us here, we're in it for the long term. We've got some sort of calling, but it isn't a single identifiable thing, right? It's a calling of creation or a calling of building something over the course of time. And as, as I said earlier, we kind of figure that out as we go, right? Now, our company right now is very different than it was three years ago and six years ago and 10 years ago as yours is and as, as Brett's is, right? The mercenary is in it for the buck. Now, that's okay, right? I, and I don't think you need to have a commitment to being a missionary to have a long-term and have long-term success in this. You can be in it for the buck. You can be a mercenary and just mm-hmm. jump from one buck to the next buck to the, to another buck. And, you know, our industry and many other industries are full of, are full of people like that. Now that's not, you know, that's not what gets me up in the morning. It's, I don't think it's what gets you guys up in the morning. Otherwise we'd be doing something different, but mm-hmm. it's, um, it's, you can have success doing that, right? You can be, you can have a, a, a long-term committed uh, relationship to 
you know, making money and still do okay and probably be pretty happy. And mm-hmm. sometimes I, you know, I, uh, I wonder if I would have been better off just sort of chasing the dollar rather than chasing the mission. But, uh, yeah, I just, <laughs> I love that. I actually love that. I don't know where, uh, if you cultivated that or you had heard that, but I love, I love that, uh, metaphor because it sort of really hits home because I, I, my commentary earlier was not to say that there was no judgment in that. It's just a recognition of what are you in it for and who are you? And sort of having that self-reflection is important, I think, as you embark on business. Because as we talked about earlier, there this is not a straight line. This is not a simple thing. There are ups and downs, and you have to have a center center core of, of why am I doing it um, that you can lean on when the times are tough and, and, and challenging because they will be. There's no if and or but to that. They will be challenging. Brett, I want to ask you a question um, before I lose you too. And, and Stu, you can sort of elaborate off of it. But, you know, it's going from that kind of call of the solopreneur to entrepreneur framework is taking what you believe and what you see as your mission and you recognize as, as where you want to go and your established uh, belief in how hard you have to work at things, and this can, can sometimes be a challenging thing for people when they own a business, to impart that to people who work for you and A, make sure they understand what you're really trying to do and B, recognizing yourself that your your expectations of them are not necessarily your expectations of yourself. Can you can you elaborate on that a little bit from yeah, as so you've built your business and started to employ people more? So I'll touch on the part of just being able to like impute what what you do to your staff. I mean, I think one thing it just it has to be not just clear, but nearly impossible to misunderstand. You know, we do have simple, we we just have a basic, we, we have an onboarding process and we do have a simple deck that very clearly lays out and we make sure that even when we present one-to-one or at workshops, our vision and mission statement are extraordinarily clear. We go over a lot of this stuff again and again and again. Now, in part, we have a little bit of a cheat code baked in because two of our market segments, one is the communication psychology leadership side. The other part is building a grassroots brand and business side. Those tend to be the folks that that come to us. And so by default, a lot of our team, Allie, Becca, Liz, they are constantly on these kinds of calls where we are helping people create the foundation for those things. So in that, it's repeated a lot, but you do have to keep it in front of their face. Like we have, now I'll get super technical here in terms of just giving people behind the scenes. Look, we have a brand guide. We have very specific like adherence protocols that when we're designing something, whether that's a lead magnet, whether that's a presentation, whatever, like we have that brand guide. We have an AOC evolution document like that lets people kind of know what phase we're in. We talk about this. We do quarterly meetings. So this is another piece is tell people, remember that you've got to, it's got to be a part of what you do in our quarterly meetings. We always walk through no matter how redundant it may seem. Hey, before we get started and we look at the numbers, like later today, when I jump off, we have our final year year of year end wrap up. We are going to say like, who are we? What was our goal? What's our goal overall? What was our specific goal this quarter? Did we achieve it? You know, and that's baked into SWOT analyses, pestle analyses, things like that. And so I think people have to remember, it's not just a vision and mission statement, though that has to be there. Um, it's not just, you know, talking about like, you do have to have this internal language that you revisit constantly is in their face constantly. And also that they have a challenge to innovate on. I mean, even every today, the day this is recorded, 
we put out a newsletter. That newsletter took two and a half hours to create and was a collaborative effort. We had to talk about, all right, what, what's the main theme? Well, we're going into the new year. What do we really want people to know? So we're starting this campaign of consistency program. And I, you know, I was like, what do you guys think about just when everybody else is getting these messages of new year, new you, this and that, we tell people just stay the course. Not everything needs to be refreshed, redone. And I asked my team, I go, before we put this out, do you guys agree with this? Do you guys agree with this and understand where, how this fits into our company mission? Because this year, 2022, we created a lot of new products. We created speaker school, brand builder. We had all these new webinars. Next year, we're playing a lot of defense. We're revamping our messaging on our website. We're revamping our segmentation. Because as you know, you can't always go, 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 create, create, create. You've got to do that. So it's baked into that. Uh, they have to be a part of that process. There was something else I was going to say because uh, there was a two parts to your question. There was how do you kind of impart well, your expect your yeah your expectations of of what you your work ethic is versus the people you're who are working for you. Yes, and thank you to this, and thank you to Stu as well because part of this goes into we're revamping our org chart, and part of that org chart goes into making sure our staff understands what success looks like in their positions. Like I have my job goals and metrics. Like this is one of the last podcasts of anybody else I will get on for the next seven months because what, what I have to do to be successful in this company right now is I need to finish this book that I'm under contract on and fit, like knock out the workshops that I'm contracted to give and in services between now and June. You know, but I'm basically like what, what is required of Allie and Becca, like they're to act like I'm right now, like not even a part of the company because I've got to kind of just abscond and lock these things in because it was, it's, it's such a big chess move and there's been a lot building up to that. But for that to happen, Allie needs to know what her success metrics are. Becca, who's our chief everything officer, and that, that title is tongue-in-cheek. She knows what her success metrics are and being able to identify those and talk to those and, and then not follow up on it. Because I think there's a lot of people that they'll do that in an annual review or quarterly review, but then it's kind of performative. They don't actually go back there. Like We have to do these little check-ins. And this is, again, where I'd go back to the congruence with, with aspects of strength and conditioning. There's not just macro cycles. There's mesocycles and micro cycles. So we will do these weekly check-ins. Hey, where are you with your kill criteria and, and, and what you need to be successful and what we're doing and breaking that up and periodizing it? Mm. Um, and, and to a degree, your staff also needs to solve for their own blind spots. You know, you can only do so much. Like, they have to learn. They have to adjust. They have to seek that feedback. We make it really clear, like the onus to a degree is on them. We'll give you clear understanding of what's expected of you, but you're also going to be like, we don't hire really smart people just to tell them what to do. We're hiring people that, you know, they have to be able to kind of get in there and, and tell us where they think they can go as well. So mm -hmm. I'll, I'll keep it there for now, but that's what we look at. And it, it, it is mind numbing. It takes a lot of meetings. I think that was the last thing. I'll say is I almost found myself being apologetic to our team last year. Like, I know we have a lot of meetings and this and that. And then I realized F this, we're a remote team trying to do really hard things. There's a stat that says, and again, these stats, as you know, like can be kind of loose, but I remember Harvard business review had an article that said 80% of innovation in companies tend to happen through these random kind of meetups, you know, and, and um, the, these informal kind of chats. Well, we don't get that benefit. You know, we have we have Ali in Texas, or sorry, uh, Ali in Palo Alto, Becca in Texas. We have a team spread all out. We have a woman in the Philippines. Like, so don't be apologetic about all these things either. Like, 
you're going to have to keep this stuff in front of people's face. Like they're big boys and girls. There's going to have to be meetings. There's going to have to be reviews. There's going to have to be these things that lead to constancy of purpose and communication. Otherwise it's just not going to work. That was a high value, man. Uh, I know I've got you for a few more minutes. I do want to sort of pivot to Stu on the, on one element of this, and then I'll come back to sort of wrap it up for you before you leave. Um, Stu, the thing I want to off of that, that topic, going back to what you said earlier about not wanting to work for people was one of your, you know, your early decision tree statements for becoming a business person. How does that work on its inverse in in the sense that now people work for you and your ability to communicate what you expect and want your business to be and how you want them to deport themselves? Has that been challenging for you? Has that been something you you actually walked into comfortably? What what has been the the genesis of that for you? Yeah, the, the last part of the question there, Scotty, was perfect. It's something that I... I walked into pretty comfortably because I'm a coach mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm used to coaching people, right? So there's a uh, assumption there that, okay, this is just coaching people. You know, this is now I've just got a team of people that I work or uh, that work for us other, rather than just a team of people that, you know, I coach the same way. Right. So little did I know that that's not what it is <laughs> at all. <laughs> so like, like most things, you know, the deeper you get into it, the more you know about it, the harder it becomes and the more challenged you are by it, mm-hmm. you know, and leading teams now is much harder than it was when I first started, when I didn't have a clue how to lead a team. And the other side of that is, you know, we started off when we did, um, you know, take over the company in 2017, we had 30 employees. We now have 10 it's a heck of a lot easier with 10. So it's, uh, and you know, I, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine what it would be like right now, uh, leading a remote team of 30, mm-hmm. you know, it's, 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 and as, as, as Brett said there, right. Like, like a rem- remote work is really hard, really, really hard. And we're doing hard, hard things like mm-hmm. Brett is. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's really challenging and it continues to be challenging. Right. So it's, mm-hmm. but you know, we, we have learned a lot over the course of the time. And, and I feel now we've tried really detailed and really structured, you know, sort of organizational, uh, you know, plans and strategies and things. And we've, and we've tried the opposite of that. And I'm kind of, le- you know, kind of just landing somewhere in the middle of that now, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, we, we try to make it clear what our shared purpose is as a company, understanding that that's dynamic. It does change. And we re-engage with that every, every few weeks or every, every month or so is, is this still what drives us and ensuring that everybody in the organization understands what that is. So that's the most important thing, right? What is our purpose here? What is our quote unquote, our mission? And, Mm -hmm. you know, we have to know that, right? And then, but what's probably more important is the rules of engagement then with all of the people that are within that system. So how do we all interact, interrelate, converse? Do we have meetings? Is it, is it a daily thing? You know, what are the expectations of all of these people within it and how do we all work together? That's the key. Like Mm -hmm. that is the key. That's the thing that's, that's harder when you've got a group of 30 than it is when you've got a group of 10. When you've got a group of 10, like we finally got to a place now where the rules of engagement between all of us is pretty settled. 
We're all working really well together and the work's getting done. And we're starting, you know, the last sort of six to eight months of this year, we've seen some, some pretty nice growth as, as a company. So it's, and that's, um, you know, uh, on the back of, of, of the previous 18 months where we were just, you know, dropping through the basement. So that's been really encouraging from our perspective. And then, you know, once you, once you have those rules of engagement sort of set, it's just empowering people to do their work. And then it's just allowing them to do the work. And if, if, if they're not, then it's just having conversations and just putting them sort of back on the path, right? And mm-hmm. understanding why the work isn't getting done, continuing to empower them. And eventually, you know, they'll, they'll figure out that uh, they'll do the work or they're, or, they're, or they're not doing the work, right? And if they're not doing the work, then we'll move to someone else who is doing the work. So it, it's sort of from a, a big picture perspective, it reminds me of sort of all the things that we do as coaches all of the things that sports scientists do, you figure out what matters, you know, what, what Brett says is, are your, what are your success metrics? So what actually matters to you as a company, to you as a person, you figure out a way to measure that. And then you change it based on your measurements of those metrics over time. And we just sort of iterate upon that process over the, you know, into, into the future. So that's, it's, it nice. sounds a heck of a lot easier than, than it is as you guys know, but it's, uh, that's sort of our process. Now we try, we've tried to simplify it as much as we can. Uh, we have continued sort of uh, formal and informal meetings, but most of it at this point is just around the rules of engagement, how we all sort of interact and interrelate as a, as a group of, of, of 10. Mm-hmm. Well, I know Brett has to leave. He's got, speaking of business, has to have his year-end thing. Uh, Brett, first of all, I want to say thanks for taking the time. I know you've got lots of stuff going on. Brett's got a new book coming out soon. If you haven't read his book, Conscious Coaching, I, I suggest you you get it uh, soon. Um, you know, much love to you, sir. Appreciate you deeply. And one last pearl of wisdom before you sign off and and anything you want to say before you leave. Yeah, I think uh, I appreciate that, by the way. You know, it's always you quarterback these things really well. And it's just nice being able to listen to Stu and you talk about these things because there's so many things I can absorb through osmosis. So I appreciate the time. I think if there's just one more thing that I could say that I think uh, through experience, I've seen a lot of folks struggle with folks that have a lot of value. The things that um, come back again and again, and I'm trying not to, I don't want to be long-winded here, is most people don't charge what they're worth. And I know I'm leapfrogging a tremendous amount here, but we did start talking about business and business models and all these things. Blind spots I've seen repeatedly when coaches kind of take a change into entrepreneurship or whatever, and, and I, they, they don't know what to charge. They don't charge what they're worth. They think that there's a perfect number. They don't understand that, you know, everything is worth what the other person's willing to pay for it. They don't look at comps. They're not realistic about it. I remember one time somebody, you know, I told them they should charge a certain amount and they scoffed at it. And I said, you do know a, a personal trainer at a big box gym that has not even a fifth of the background that you do is charging them. Well, I couldn't do that. And what I found is, most people that don't charge what they're worth, which is their undoing, a lot of times it's because of a confidence issue. Mm-hmm. This person straight up said it. They just said, I don't feel like I could deliver on that. Mm-hmm. And so this is a deeper, deeper rabbit hole. If anybody's listening, you know, I, Scotty, I can send you a link. We had a guest on our podcast that did a great job talking about those things, um, just charging what you're worth. And then also just realizing you're going to have to advertise. When I first started doing this, there was this kind of coterie of strength coaches that I think was a bunch of really angry folks that just, they blatantly said, anybody that advertises is kind of a blowhard or this and that. I mean, listen, um, in good times, people want to advertise what they do. In bad times, they have to. 
you have to advertise what you do. Like to think that people are just going to, through telepathy, understand that you provide this tremendous value and understand the differentiation and all this is absurd. I mean, it's absurd, you know, and, and it's, it's just selection bias. Like people can't select what they don't know exists. So just telling a lot of coaches, cause there's a lot of them that just have a lot of trouble with this. You can do these things in non-schemy, salesy ways. And again, Scotty, I'll send you, we have tons of free resources. If that is any of the listeners issue of not knowing what to charge or kind of knowing how to advertise without looking like a snake oil salesman, these are resources that are free to you, but we put tremendous amount of time into. So I hope they help. But I just wanted to just touch on those things because they are two of the biggest issues aside from just not having a clear mission or vision and not being willing to hire a team, thinking they have to do it themselves that, that we've seen. Mm -hmm. Thanks, buddy. Thank you for your time. Uh, Brett's company is called Art of Coaching. You can find them online. They have, I have went down and did his apprenticeship last uh, summer and it was amazing. Uh, love this guy. Love what he's doing and I appreciate you, sir. Enjoy connecting with your team. Enjoy the rest of your holidays and get that book written, buddy, so we can read it and uh, fin finish that PhD mofo. And <laughs> I think, I think appreciate. Stu hits you, hits you with a nice insult to finish on the, in, in the, in the chat before you leave. <laughs> There's always something. There's always something. All right, Assassin's Creed. If anybody sees this video, Stu has a white hood and a wood panel background. Nothing more cliche than a wood panel background, buddy. You're always hitting them with that originality. Obi-Wan. He's Obi-Wan today, as usual. Oh, there he is. Look at that. Some grass. Wow. I should show you my outdoors. It's not grass. I can tell you that much. Appreciate you guys. Happy New Year. See you, buddy. Have a good Thanks, one. Sir. Bye. Stewie, to play off of what... Um, Brett was just talking about your, your value, you know, how, what, what do you think of that? Like when people talk about charging, you know, for the work that they do and how have you found um, that happy space of what you think your work is worth, what you think the educational materials you provide are worth. And I want to splinter off the back of that and you might even elaborate on it because the the world of because you and I play in the same space with some of these online products and live products etc and and the the genesis of that over the last three years has been crazy you know what 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 was valued at this is now valued at this like that and all over the place talk a little bit about that how have you figured that out or put pin the the tail in the donkey of of value versus you know what people will pay Buddy, that's so hard. It is, you know, it, it is. I'm glad right? you've had an hour to wake up at this point. Yeah. <laughs> that is hard. Next question, please. I have no response. Thank you. I plead the fifth. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, you know, like we, we sell, we sell courses anywhere from, you know, from $149 to an $899. And, you know, the $899 courses take us about a year to write, multiple people about a year to write, and are based on the cumulative experiences over the course of their entire careers. So there's decades of work going into these courses. But we tend to value things by the other end of the continuum, right? The consumer end of that. Well, this is this course takes X amount of time for me to go through. It's got X amount of words in it. It has X amount of hours of video in it. And so this time is worth X rather than what 
the what it was worth actually to as a product from the other end. So it's mm. it's it's really hard from that perspective because you have to you have to put a value on these things where whereby people are actually going to buy it, right. you know, and that's that's the challenge, right? So it's we've got you know when it comes to selling stuff, there's only two options: we get more people to buy it or we raise our prices. That's the only way we can make more money. Mm-hmm. So you can you can choose which end of that you know um, sort of power play you want to use. You want to you want to charge a lot of money and just have a few people buying things. That's one way to do it. You want to charge little money and have a lot of people buying it. That's another way to do it. Mm-hmm. It's um, you know we 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 kind of try to be all things for all people sometimes. And I, I don't you know you look at any business book and they say that's probably not a good way to to run a business. But within this industry in this community of coaches and health you know health and performance professionals it runs the gamut you know there's a lot of people that we speak to that are coaching as volunteers Mm. or are high school coaches that may make you know a thousand dollars a year as a coach because they're doing they're doing another job on the side and there's also a lot of people in our community that are professional coaches making close to a million dollars a year or more than a million dollars a year so we're you know it's we've chosen to try to speak to the entirety of the community and i don't honestly know if that's a great strategy from from our perspective i really don't um you know at least financially i don't know if it's a great strategy we'd probably be better off you know really nailing down who our who our community is a little bit more uh, purposefully and then just speak more to them uh, individually than, than trying to speak to the entirety of the community. But, you know, that whole question about value is, is so hard. It really is. You know, it's, um, and what's, what's valuable to me is very different, often very different to what is valuable to others. You know, it's, um, you know, what is valuable to your typical coach now? And if we choose, like, if, we, if we're making the choice that we are speaking to your quote-unquote typical coach, typical coach and their values are different than our values. And, you know, there's that disconnect there is really difficult to sort of navigate through a business, you know, Mm -hmm. that's. um, Well, that's the other part of this that uh, I think we've talked, I think offline a little bit over the last little while, but there's this um, kind of been this shift and and the pandemic uh, I think accentuated the shift from kind of an information based uh, model of delivery to more of a context-centric base uh, or model of of educational information um, prov- provision for people because now with with everybody just dumping information th- both through their marketing process of social or you know creating YouTube channels or whatever there's kind of two parts of that one is that there's a lot of information out there. It's hard to necessarily filter the good from the bad. It seems that if you can create a good marketing image for yourself, you can sometimes sell bad information because of the image you've created. And then on the back end of that, there's this um, greater need for more context, which is the actual experiential expression of how to use the information. Um, so that requires a different kind of teaching framework or a different kind of ex- 
expression of how you deliver your material. That's at least what I have found over the last three years in terms of the way we've had to reinvent our business model. Has that been similar for you? Have you gone through the same sort of genesis or has it been different for you in in the last three years? Yeah, it's um, very similarly, uh, very similar to that, Scotty. Um, Essentially, what you're saying there is we're trying as companies to sell, quote unquote, the value of being a critical thinker. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that's been very challenging, right? Because that's our, you know, what Brett was talking about before is being a differentiator. You know, when you're trying to sell not the what, but the why and the how, but you're in a market where the what sells and the what markets much easier, it's a much um, more difficult and more challenging marketplace. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, it's, uh, that's the thing that I've really struggled with. I'll be honest with you. I, I still struggle with that. I don't know how successful we've been on that because, you know, you know, what's, and, and, and Brett, you know, Brett's put it perfectly before, right? It's, you know, Ruth Chris doesn't, um, doesn't compete with Wendy's. It's a mm-hmm. totally different market, mm-hmm. but that's not our, you know, that's not our industry. Mm-hmm. You know, our industry is much more niche than that. It's much tighter than that. It's much smaller than that. There's, if we did actually segment it out properly, you know, how many people within that industry are, there, are, are we then even marketing to and trying to sell to, you know, and we, you know, if, if, if our mission is, is as we've discussed to try to improve the quality of thinking of the community of coaches on the planet, then we have to speak to the ones who aren't there yet. So we, by definition, then we're speaking to the same people that people selling a less, you know, quote unquote, a less critical product are, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. So we mm-hmm. are having to swim in those same waters, you know, and those waters now are just getting bloodier and bloodier and bloodier. And it becomes harder and harder and harder then to differentiate yourselves from the, from the, as I was sort of, you know, alluding to earlier, the analogy of the mercenary versus the missionary. You know, it's where we're trying to put ourselves across as a, as a missionary company selling missionary ideas, but we're fighting against mercenaries with mercenary ideas. And that's, you know, and it's harder for the general consumer to understand the difference between the two. And I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not putting a, I'm not putting a qualitative judgment to that, by the way, I'm not saying we're better because of this. I'm just saying, this is what we've chosen to do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one thing, you know, sort of going back to the value question as well, right? So Alex Ramosi is somebody I've sort of been paying attention to this last year. He's got a, a couple of books. One is $100 million offers. Another one is Jim Launch. Um, but I, I really like how he thinks about this. He's very, he's very clear with how he communicates around a lot of, a lot of I, these ideas. And he just made, basically made this, this equation of what value is. And I'm just going to read it to you here. Value is your dream outcome. So, you know, will this be worth it? Quote unquote, for whoever is, is, uh, um, you know, taking advantage of whatever this product is that is multiplied by the perceived likelihood 
of achievement. You know, will I achieve something with that? And that divided, that dream outcome multiplied by the perceived likelihood of achievement is divided by the time delay, how long it takes me to get there, multiplied by the effort and the sacrifice, so how much work it requires, right? So if you've got a, a course, for example, and this is what I'm thinking about a lot now, right? The, we, have a, a, we have three big courses, our performance trinity, foundation course, the need for speed course, and the uh, performance therapy course. Each of those, actually, both, you know, all of them have about a 5% graduation rate so far. 5% of the people that sign up for these courses finish them. Mm-hmm. Of the 5% that finish them, the average time to finish is six months. So on the bottom of that equation, time delay, we're, we're, we're way off scale here, right? We want something that somebody can finish in a weekend or a week or a month, not in six months or they, know, or they never finish. And then mm-hmm. effort and sacrifice. If, if this something is taking you six months to finish, a massive amount of effort and sacrifice, and this, you know, and this time delay, then it doesn't matter what's on the top, really, you know. Mm-hmm. And this is why we're seeing sort of, you know, the, um, you know, the, the sort of the fading away of the traditional education system now, right? So because the time delay is long and the effort and sacrifice is large, and what they're getting from it, the perceived likelihood of achievement and the dream outcome isn't what it used to be, right? So the mm. value proposition now is just off. It's different. And how to navigate those differences and the, and the world and sort of what we're all sort of trying to co-create and co-mingle within is just harder and harder and harder. And uh, so the, the bottom line of all this, uh, Scotty, is, yeah, this is really hard. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny, you know. Uh, we, and we... I, I, I don't recommend it for anybody. <laughs> It is not for the faint of heart, that is for sure. And especially over the last two, three years with this pandemic and things, like it's uh, thrown a uh, pandemic, war, recession, et cetera, throws, a, you know, some some real wrenches into the system of trying to actually figure things out. Um, I I want to sort of, it's interesting lo- losing Brett in the conversation. Um, one of the things that I've talked about with Brett before is, you know, his belief in what he's building and trying to to uh, empower people with around the idea of communication. And what I've said to him um, in my observation is that it's one of the challenges is, yes, people need it. Yes, it is a gap, but people don't recognize how it's going to change Um their financial circumstances by the investment proposition. So if I go and take Brett's communication course, and for those who are listening, fantastic uh, information and Brett's, all of Brett's material is very well done and very well presented. But the question mark, I think in his, the people he is, is connecting with is how do I go back to my boss and say, I took this course and this is going to, this is going to give me a pay raise, or I'm going to be able to, turn this into an extended value proposition for my client if I'm a one-on-one trainer or I'm coaching people. And in the same vein, like when you look at the material essence of the the stuff that you guys teach, again, which makes you a better coach or a more capable coach of doing stuff or you, you can work with a different niche or, or individual, et cetera, how have you crossed that precipice of explaining to the person that the value proposition of buying this is going to give them the value proposition of 
where they will arrive. You sort of talked about it a little bit on that, that idea of, you know, where is this going to take me kind of idea or where am I going to arrive to? But yeah, that's, um, you know, when you, when you listen to any of these marketing, uh, gurus, that that's what they start with, right? You, you need to speak to the transformation. You need to speak to the future version of the person that we're talking to. You know, what does that person see themselves as? Not just the problems that you're trying to help them solve, but what is their future version of themselves? And then speak to that. And if we can help them become that future version of themselves, then that's sort of, you know, why we're here and what we're doing and why we're doing what we're doing, right? So you sort of start with that. Like, what is the transformation? You know, for, for so long, we, we, you know, we spoke about information. Information is enough. You know, we just, you know, you just learn enough stuff and you'll become that future person. But that's not how we, as as humans, sort of are are uh, you know guided. You know, we 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 are more sort of motivated by you know these transformative stories. You know, and that's something that Brett's made an entire career out of. Right? What's what's what probably he's spoken to as well as anybody. Uh, in this industry anyway, is, 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 is that specifically. So it's, it's still something that, you know, we, you know, it's, it's always a balance, right, Scotty? Like you're, you're trying to do good work. You're trying to share really good work. You're trying to still learn as an individual yourself. You're still trying to learn as a company yourselves. So you've got all of these these things, and some of them are somewhat actually comp- competing with each other, mm-hmm. right? It can't because we're not just a marketing company. We have to be a marketing company to sell our stuff just to be here, mm-hmm. right? We have to be able to sell our products just so we've all got jobs, so we can all make a living. So we have to have that bottom line in mind, and we, to to affect that bottom line in a positive way, we have to be, you know, uh, have quality marketing like it or lump it, you know, it's, I, I don't really like it. Like I don't really enjoy telling those transformative stories. I'll be, I'll be honest. I'm not very good at that, but we have to do that. I'm more interested in, in kind of, you know, how do we educating the community of coaches, as I said, but to mm-hmm. be able to do that, we have to be, we have to be marketers. So it's, it's, it's um yeah, I, I'm, I keep going back to, you know, this, this, it's, it's just a really, challenging for anybody who's who chooses to to go down this business you know and i still i don't regret it i mean there's times where i regret it absolutely there's times where i think man, i look at some of my colleagues and you know they've got jobs working for other people and doing well and and you know just doing putting in their you know 35 to, to 50 hours a week or whatever and, and having holidays and so on and so forth and i'm and i'm i'm occasionally jealous of of them mm-hmm. but i think in the big picture i still prefer you know because what i'm doing now aligns with my personal values my personal mission or my you know the personal way of of of, of thinking about what i'm doing here and why why, why i'm here so it's mm-hmm. uh that's a ramble scotty I, I i i can't even remember what the question was but it's um yeah it's it's it's, it's okay <laughs> you know the, yeah you were talking about marketing right it's it's just uh, i i i really you know it's um I struggle with it. It's a part of it. It's something that I'm trying to learn how to do better. I know it's the same thing that, that you are as well. We've talked about that quite a lot. You know, it's, um, we, we all, we both know, and we all know anybody who's listening to this will know people who, 
uh, basically just, you know, they've got a pretty simple product and they're really, really good marketers. And I don't want to become that. You know what I mean? I don't want to put all of, all of my energies in just being better marketers without ensuring that our products are as good as they possibly can be. And we can continue iterating on the products that we have and making them better. Mm-hmm. And then more selfishly learning as much as I can as well, because that's still a driver for me. Yeah. I mean, I think the overreaching message, both from Brett's segment and yours is this, this is embarking into business is not an easy thing. It is not, there is no cookie cutter recipe for doing it. And there are multiple variations of it. And, um, you know, so you need to understand yourself. You need to understand why um, this is what you want to lean on and be because there's going to be days where you're really going to question it and you're going to look look at other things that you see other people doing and go why am i doing this to myself so to speak so i don't i, I don't want to leave um the listener with um sort of an ultimately negative message i think there are there are great rewards in running your business again you know to your first point you get to call your shots, you get to self-create and um, morph and and change and develop and differentiate, et cetera, through your own mechanisms, um, calling your own shots. What is the most inspiring thing to finish for you? What is the most inspiring thing, the thing that makes you smile when you have those difficult times still as a business person today? Yeah, but that's how we learn, right? We learn through our challenges and through our mistakes and through our failures. You know, if we feel like, you know, the, the point of this is, you know, the, the point of our time here on earth is to, as we spoke about before, is this process of creating ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. There's no better way to do that than to run your own business. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a great vehicle to figure that out. You know, it's, and that's, and that's essentially what it is for me. You know, we, we, as I said before, we don't discover ourselves, we create ourselves, right? It's, uh, I'm reading a lot now. Maybe you can tell I'm, re- I'm rereading The Second Sex by uh, Simone de Beauvoir, where she talks about authenticity. And authenticity is this process of creating yourself over the course of time, right? And that's it. And, and I don't feel like there's any better way to do that than to own your own business. And whether that's just a side business, you know, whether it's a solopreneurship, whether it's an entrepreneurship and you, and you own a big, massive company, there's no better way uh, to, to do that authentically than to running your own business. And I feel like that's, for me, that's, that's, that's the one big um, positive in this. You know, for me, if that's important to you, if it's important, if create, creativity is important to you, if discovering yourself and creating yourself is important to you, if trying to figure out this, the big why questions are important to you, then owning your own thing is a really great way to, to figure out some of the answers to those questions. You just gave me the title for this uh, podcast, buddy. Oh, creation, creation of self through the mechanism of business. I like it. I like it. Dude, thank you. <laughs> thank you for your time. Thank you for um, getting up early uh, on the West Coast and joining us and making uh, this my 300th uh, an exploration and some of the things that you guys have taken away from 
your your lives so far and i'm sure we'll do another one when i hit 600 that'll be even more interesting so thanks buddy. If, if we're if we're still here <laughs> but buddy it's, yeah it's it, great, great to be here man i i really i really appreciate you uh having me on yeah i really always enjoy chatting with you scotty uh, i appreciate everything that you do thanks buddy have a good rest of your day thanks man you too Thanks for joining us today on Leave Your Mark. I hope we've left a mark on you today, and we wish only that you pay it forward by sharing this story, taking the time to rate and comment on this podcast. Please follow us at Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Pain, and become a member of this community at Scott G. Livingston on Facebook. Have a great day. Music by Cedric de Saint-Rome. <laughs>